This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and I'm joined on the other line by Shannon Gill. And uh, Johnny's here as well. How's it going, guys? <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. G'day, guys. Thanks for uh, inviting me along for a chat. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you here, Shannon. So, obviously, part of the greatest season that was team, and uh, part of my early introduction to podcast listening, actually, listening to you guys relive the 93 season, which was a obviously a fantastic season, and as you guys dubbed it, the greatest season. Yeah, um, well, glad to hear you enjoyed it, um, uh, Daniel, and, and yeah, a lot of, lot of fun uncovering that season, and um, you know, been lucky enough to sort of keep doing the, the, the podcast in different guises since, and um, we'll have a, at the time of recording this, we're, we're not far away from releasing a, a new series, which um, has a bit of a link to, I think, some of the, a bit of a tenuous link to some of the stuff we'll be talking about today. Is there any more detail you can tell us about that or is it a little <laughs> secret moment? No, I can, <laughs> I, can, I can give you more information. So the, the next series that we have, uh, we, ju- we just don't have a date yet. There's a few reasons why we're still just um, working on some stuff around it, but the, the next series will be uh, a series called The Irish Experiment, which essentially um, charts the, the, the great experiment that saw uh, Irish players play in, in the, the VFL slash AFL and, uh, you know, the, the, the pioneers or the primary um, initial players in that were, were Melbourne players. And um, so that sort of uh, probably is a, a bit of a connection to what we're going to talk about today. And one of those guys who figures prominently um, will we'll feature in our discussion, I'm sure, at some point too. Dines is fantastic success story through that. Uh, guys that you'll be talking about there and hopefully he gets a few mentions uh, in this podcast itself. So what are we actually doing today? Well, with Melbourne on such a great run and we're all Melbourne supporters, surprise, surprise, <laughs> uh, we thought it would be a great time to actually relive a little bit of the 1998 season where Melbourne got on a pretty damn good run, uh, similar in some ways to what they're doing now, although I guess you know, what they're doing now is built on a lot of structure and that's not really the way footy was being played in 98, but plenty of good stuff to unpack in 98. So maybe I'll go to you first, Johnny. What do you remember going into the 98 season? And obviously hopes weren't that high for Melbourne having finished last in 1997. Yeah, uh, it was rock bottom, I guess. Um, Had to start again. Uh, I think Neil Baum was sacked midway through the season. Uh, we appointed Neil Denher at the end, and it was just a, a breath of fresh air. Time to start again. Uh, he, From what I remember, he brought a, a real new outlook into the way they trained and things like that. Um, I think I remember hearing a story about how uh, that a lot of the senior guys were getting real into bike riding, and Neil came in and just said, you know, get rid of the bikes. You don't ride bikes on a footy field. And it all became fitness-based and running. So, um, yeah, we've got some good players through the trade and in the draft. Um, so there was a little bit of hope, but, yeah, it was there was still a bit of an unknown ahead, I think. Melbourne did seem to sort of bounce around the ladder a fair bit through these years. So even though they had finished last, I guess there still would have been a bit of hope around that they could actually do a fair bit better in 98. Well, I think one of the things from my memories of that period was that we had a great 
94 season then a lot of a lot of Melbourne supporters reflect with really fond memories of 1994 but the knee injuries to David Schwartz the subsequent um, injuries to Gary Lyon um, guys like Steve Tingay were, were pretty much injured on and off for the next two or three years even you know Todd Viney ends up for a period of time goes and coaches with Mark Philippousis. Um right. I, I right. just remember that that um, all the hope that ha- that finished off '94 dissipated very quickly, and it, we the the D's just just never. I, I don't think any any club of the era was hit as hard by injuries, and you see some of the names that played during '96 and '97, and you you scratch your head and think, wow, um, these guys got a game. But but and and in some ways, I I sort of even blame the the idea of even going down the merger path in 1996 with Hawthorne. It was almost like the 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 psyche of the club had, had, was so bruised and so damaged about the fact that what we'd endured with all these injuries and and the the hope that had quickly fallen away for what should have been a good side through the 90s but wasn't because of the the injuries. I, I think that that was such a it took a while for the club to get over that, and I think that. that end of 97 it was seen as okay we are have now hit rock bottom and there was a sense of it was one of the first instances of what we thought might be a rebuild but it it happened much quickly much much quicker than that yeah it's interesting you're talking there about the effect of the potential merger and kind of putting melbourne into this sort of malaise that it took them probably you know a while to get out of and you know even longer than that in terms of you know rebuilding the supporters sort of faith in the club and all these sorts of things. But I guess that's probably one of the reasons why Danaher was so good to actually get in at this time. It seemed like it was exactly what they needed, shake things up a little bit. And he obviously had his own way of doing things. And uh, as Johnny was talking about there, a bit different to what had been done before, but he had a very clear view of what he was going to do as a coach. There's talk at the time um, when he started that that, that he... he basically took them to school as in they sat in a classroom for for um a lot of time of the uh, that first pre-season and and he basically he he wanted to teach them some some basics or and and some less basic stuff i suppose about his game plan and a lot of the players i remember them talking at the time about that they'd never they'd never sort of seen this that you know footy training was on an oval with footies and having a coach um, you know, yell at you as you went ran around and did this and, or did that or, or went running or, di- or or were doing drills. But he actually sat them in a classroom and said and and thought that Melbourne were at a point where they actually needed to be taught taught a lot of the basics again, and and that was a, a starting point for it all. Yeah, I think that was very powerful to be actually you know reset hit the reset switch a little bit with that and actually show them that you know these are the things that I'm going to say are important and actually you know instill that in such a deep way and I guess it's probably not exactly what was done at that period of time it was a little bit more about tough love so yeah great person to get in at this point in terms of Danaher there so one of the other big things that happened at the start of the 98 season is we got Jeff White so he had been on Fremantle's list for a few seasons and Melbourne had actually traded out picks 2 and 18 for Jeff White and Troy Longmuir so I guess the hope would have been that he could make an instant impact and uh as it, it did turn out that way throughout the whole of 98, really, he was very influential. Because Melbourne had the number one 
pick and, and the number two pick, and we also had the number one pick in the preseason draft as well. So the, the the reward for finishing last was a bunch of new toys, and we weren't and at that time. It was still pretty sort of rudimentary as to what you did with a number one pick, and I, they picked Travis Johnson with number one. But certainly there was a a lot of talk about picking up, and you know Jeff White was was the other target. But there were other targets as well, which are sort of forgotten about now. Shannon Grant was a, a, a an absolute target of the club at that point, and Peter Matera was a mm. big target. And Matera, the, the word is that Matera actually at one point had agreed to join in the preseason draft, um, but did ended up sort of going back on that that discussion and uh, and didn't go. And, and Melbourne got Jamie Shanahan instead. But I, I actually remember at the time ringing ringing melbourne football club um just because this is not this is pre you know pre social media pre 24 7 sort of footy coverage and you you had your um your your sort of five minute extended footy news on on the channel 10 news that was the thing i, I would religiously watch each night with, with you know hutchie used to do the do the the news at that point um the footy news and and, and ringing ringing melbourne football club and literally Cameron Schwab answered the phone, <laughs> and I asked. And I was asking him, "So, um, what's the go? We we get we we after Jeff White is Shannon Grant still on the on the radar? Yeah, we're still." And he, I, mean, I, I don't think Cam wouldn't remember it, and I've I've spoken to him many times since. But um, he he sort of said to me, "Oh, yeah, we're still having a crack at Shannon Grant too. Yep, and you know, material we're still having a go at." So. So I sort of got the the update, and I felt like I was I was I knew what was going on with the recruiting at, uh, <laughs> after the '97 season into '98. Sounds like a whole different world back then in terms of that sort of thing. <laughs> but just out of those three that you've mentioned there, Jeff White, Shannon Grant, and Peter Matera, who do you think would have or could have had the most impact for Melbourne in sort of this next three year period? Say you know from '98 through to 2000. Because Jeff White, I think, did a lot for Melbourne during this time. But could either of these guys done potentially done more? I, yeah, I, I mean, Jeff White was fantastic for Melbourne Football Club. I think at the time he was picked up because Jimmy Steins was still playing, and and through '98 they they kind of shared the rucking duties, and and even at the start of the season, White almost played more as a forward um, forward going into the ruck, and he was still quite raw, and we didn't know what he was going to be like. Uh, so there was probably a, a little bit of, I think that sugar hit of Peter Matera would have been fantastic because Peter Matera <laughs> was such a great player. Uh, though you know, I, I, realistically, Peter Matera probably only had a couple of years left in him. Um, so whether he would have made a difference, who knows? I mean, he may have, may have made a difference in in '98 or 2000. Shannon Grant probably probably a different story again, uh, a different sort of player. Uh, who I'm sure would have been a, a very good player for Melbourne, uh, but but I think in a in a long term structural sense for our team, Jeff White was the right one because Jimmy was coming to the end of his career, and and uh, a great ruckman like Jeff White ended up becoming, um, you know, they're not available every day of the week, and and uh, he was a, a real talisman for the club for you know for a decade. It is a really good point, though, because it was kind of still the infancy of the draft and, and and draft picks being allocated, and there were a lot more of those sort of big trades being made. Um, and we were very heavily into Shannon Grant, and I think in the end, um, North and one out just because uh, they found Wayne Schwoss wanted to go in the other direction, and that was a direct swap. Um, 
But in the end, it turned out to be a good trade. We needed an experienced ruckman. Uh, I know Brad Alton's went number two, but White was established at that point, and he made the instant impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess his patented move, I guess, in these days and onwards through his career at Melbourne was just being able to jump over other ruckmen, get the big fist to it, even though he was a bit undersized as a ruckman, but obviously very athletic. And it was actually a pretty good shot for goal as well, so kind of the full package. And uh, I guess another big thing that was changing coming into the 98 season was Melbourne had a new skipper with uh, Todd Viney placing Gary Lyon, who'd had quite a number of injury issues leading into this season. So I guess it was the right time to make that switch. And uh, Todd Viney ended up having an incredibly good season, actually finishing fifth in the Brownlow, very consistent. So Johnny, uh, what are some of your recollections of Todd Viney as a player? Obviously, he's still been pretty influential at Melbourne uh, through the recruiting assistance and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, what about going into 98 with Todd Viney? Yeah, I was a massive fan of Todd Viney. Uh, I always thought we were a better chance to win when he was playing, and he was one of the toughest players I think I've ever seen. Uh, loved those early sweatband days. Uh, it was just something a bit like Jaden Hunt, you know. With, you know it was just kids love that kind of player. But um, yeah, I think it was the right time to make the change for the captaincy. I mean, Gary Lyon's still probably the best natural leader I've ever seen at Melbourne, but. Uh, it was a right time to make a change, and Viney really did sort of relish having that leadership role. And um, yeah, he was just he was in some very good form, especially in the early part of that season. And uh, yeah, he was the right guy for the job. I think at the time it was a it was a big deal with that because I, I don't I think it's documented that Lion didn't necessarily relinquish it without having to have a really be talked into it and and it was a decision made by mm. by Danaher but Lyon had hardly he'd hardly played a game in 97 it didn't play much in 96 he he was the captain and he was the face of the club he was almost and i think you had to you had to probably live through this era to kind of understand what i'm going to say here but Lyon was he was almost like a a playing president of the club in a lot of ways. He he, he seemed to be, as well as being the player, uh, the, the generally the best player when he wasn't injured, and the captain. Um, he he was the public face of the club in a lot of other ways, and uh, you know, generally you know anything Melbourne kind of got sheeted home to Gary Lyons in such a way. And so it was, even though he wasn't playing, it seemed like a, it was a big leap for him to actually not be captain. But um, as we'll talk about later, I think that was a, a really good decision that, that paid dividends on, on both fronts in that it, it actually probably helped Gary squeeze that one last good year out of, out of his body. But Todd Viney also was a guy, I think, I mean, he got better as he got older. Uh, almost, and you know, as I said, he, he has his. This is his, you know, probably his statistically greatest season and, and greatest season as far as a, a star in the league. But he he had been sort of chipping away at that for a long time, and and eventually eventually got there. But yeah, I think he I think he got better as he got older, Todd. In some ways, he was a player that really um, worked on his kicking. I think a lot of when he started, he was an absolutely woeful kicker. Yeah. I think he'd be on Simon Godfrey level of, uh, of uh, disposability, but he really worked on that. And I think by the end, he was he was nailing goals and just hitting targets regularly. Uh, it was something he really worked hard at throughout his career. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. All right, so just before we jump into some of these games to do a bit of a recap, 
Let's remind ourselves about who some of the main players were in this 98 team. So in particular, the forward line was absolutely star-studded. And when you could get a few of these guys on the park, goals were not too hard to come by. So listen to some of these names. Gary Lyon, David Swartz, David Neitz, Jeff Farmer, Adam Uze, although he's pretty young at this point, Sean Smith at the end of his career, and a young Russell Robertson. Some go- There's some goal-scoring power there for sure. Yeah, the, the, I mean, and this is, if, if I go back to 94 for a second, this is the, the remnants of 94, the, what could have been with the Schwartz-Lyon combination. Um, and remember in 1994, David Neitz played centre-half back, and even though he ends up being a, we all know him as a natural forward and a, and a full forward most of the time, you know, who knows what could have happened if Schwartz doesn't go down with a knee, if Lyon's back holds up longer than what it did. Um, David Neitz could have been the, you know, jostling with sort of Glenn Jakovic as the, the centre half back of the of the um, of the nineties, really. But but then you you look at this look at this forward setup. Um, even though, as you said, Russell Robinson was at the start of his career, and Uze was probably you know pl- played a bit in the back line as well, and did a, did a little bit of everything at that point. Um, but those three guys, even though they don't play that many games together in the season because of injuries, uh, uh, plus Farmer, is just watching these watching these highlights is just a just a joy, really, to see the, all these guys go to work. It, it's uh, one thing I'll say about Melbourne during this period is that um, if we weren't the best team, I reckon we were the most exciting team to watch when we were up and running. Hundred percent, I agree with that. I think uh, Neil Danaher really had the side playing a very attractive brand of footy, and when they were up and running, there were few better to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just turn to the midfield now briefly. So had a fair bit of depth running through the midfield as well with the experienced campaigners of Todd Viney and Stephen Tingay, Andrew and James McDonald running through there, a young Andrew Leon Shelley. Shane Woden as well, and then you had sort of the tagger in Rigoni and even Stephen Phoebe and Matt Phoebe sort of rotated through there at times. So I guess, yeah, plenty of depth there, even though perhaps not a huge number of stars, but, you know, good honest workhorses and, uh, you know, guys who could get it on the outside as well. Yeah, I think you, you spot on there, Daniel, with, with it. it. There weren't superstars. I mean, Todd Viney was our superstar that year, and I, and I don't think Todd Viney would ever call himself a sort of an absolute superstar he was a, a real blue collar kind of worker um, but but it was a fairly for the time it was a fairly even and deep midfield I, I think you know you, you look at who was rotating through and this is a little bit different to um, what we see now that would be a, a regular rotation of a midfield but back then rotating through the midfield was not as much of the game as it was but we kind of had that and um even though that they weren't the weren't the absolute superstars there was there was depth there um one one i've just mentioned of of that is um steve tingay who had been crueled by injuries really for the, the the three years before this but particularly the year before where he only played a couple of games and he comes back into the side sort of mid-year and and um really has a make has a huge influence and and um it was again one of those good things that uh, Tingay could could get back from an injury and just show what he was what he was capable of or what he was what he had promised some years before who stood out for you Johnny in the midfield at this time 
Well, yeah, just to Shannon's point, there were a lot of feel-good stories for this year for Melbourne. You could have easily had three of those players could have been, you know, they could have had the comeback of the year, I guess. Uh, you know, Schwartz, Tingay, uh, Lyon, you know, you could, yeah, throw a blanket over them. There were so many great stories. But um, in, in the midfield, I think um, definitely Rigoni stood out. Uh, he was a real game-changer. I think that, yeah, he was taken in the old supplementary list or something back then. Um, and, yeah, he was instant impact. Still remember that booming kick he had. And, um, yeah, he was able to do the run with roll. So that was the, yeah, I thought that really made the whole thing work. I reckon there was some really cre- some creative recruiting as well at this point that Melbourne probably pioneered in some ways because Rigoni was a guy off the off the supplementary list. Like yeah, he he, I think that I mean I don't I can't recall the exact story, but he'd played in a in like a local footy grand final, won it, and was called up to play Melbourne seconds the Saturday after, and he you know he'd been celebrating all week and but came played I think for Melbourne that's seconds. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, played a good game, and that basically. You know, got him onto the the supplementary list, which ended up being elevated to the to the main list. Andrew and James McDonald were, um, you know, out of out of the ammos and not through the sort of, you know, that they were off the sup list as well. Leon Chal- Leon uh, was a similar story. Wo Woden was a similar story yes. in that he was taken as, through the preseason draft and not through. I suppose that the means that most um, players were either high draft picks or, or, or that sort of thing at that time and came through the club. They were they were late bloomers in some ways, and um, but but you know made up a very interesting sort of mix of guys. I actually couldn't remember too many of the guys playing in the back line. Obviously, we had sort of Ingerson and Shanahan as sort of the key posts, but uh, I guess maybe Dower was a way to describe Melbourne's back line. Well. This is an interesting one because if you look at the, the the season prior, the last game of the season prior, this and this just shows how thin we were, players full stop. But 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 in the back line in particular, um, the last sorry, the last game of two years prior was was ninety six, and um, and some of the guys that rotated playing on Jason Dunstall that night were were not back. They were not key backmen, so we we were bereft of key backmen. But Jamie Shanahan was available um, after the, the 97 grand final, mm. rightly or wrongly, he was kind of, mm. um, you know, I won't say blamed, but but certainly was on the outer at St Kilda, but um, but he was a proven fullback at the time, so that's that was a really logical step for us to, to grab him. And Ingerson was a guy who'd sort of come across from Adelaide and but had was sort of ended up blooming. Sort of chopped and changed between forward and back in Adelaide, I think. Yeah, yeah, he never had a spot at Adelaide, really. Yeah. And then, then he found his his niche here. I'm trying to think who else. I mean, th- yeah, I mean, you probably had the Steve Phoebe probably played more off a halfback flank, but was a running off the halfback flank. Uze played a fair bit in the back line at this point, so he might have been a running halfback slash back pocket. Um, I'm trying to think who else might have <laughs> might have been running through the through the back line at that point. Uh, Darren Cowley ended up playing most mostly forward this year I reckon but um, but yeah the, the fun was in the forward <laughs> line <laughs> Paul Hopgood probably ran, ran a bit through there as well um, and, and well I even at one point Sean Smith was playing was went went back and played yeah. in the back line for yeah, a, that was for one a of new bounce moves yeah. yeah but uh, but yeah the, look 
I think that the fun stuff was happening in the forward <laughs> And line. these are the days where you could get away with that a little bit more, <laughs> I suppose. You had to kick plenty of goals to win a game in the 90s. <laughs> All right. So the core <laughs> of what we're doing today is really looking at Melbourne's winning streak towards the end of this season. So going into the round 18 game against Brisbane, Melbourne were actually sitting at 9-8. and eight. And most of these games actually came in a five-match winning streak between rounds two and six. But it all seemed to click in the latter half of the season here. So what we're going to do is uh, reminisce about a few of the uh, important things that happened in these games, building up towards some huge finals that Melbourne would play in 98. So the first of these games was the round 18 game against Brisbane at the MCG. And what was immediately obvious looking back at this a little bit was just the great run and carry that they had through the midfield. They were able to get it in super quick to a dangerous forward line. And uh, I guess, as you guys were talking about a little bit earlier, this has uh, Danaher's fingerprints all over it, just trying to transition that ball as quickly as possible, taking it through the midfield and uh, just getting it to a dangerous spot, really, and let the forwards go to work. Yeah, the one thing I remember about this game, I'm just trying to remember, I'm trying to think about it. I wasn't actually there because I was playing school sport that day, but uh, I remember there was probably about 10,000 people there, <laughs> as there were for many of these fixtures. Um, but yeah, it, everything just fell into place that day. Uh, I think the final margin was about 90-something points. Um, and yeah, we'd finally had um, Gary, Schwartz and Neitz all fit because Neitz had just come back from the broken ankle, I think maybe a few weeks earlier. And Farmer was lighting it up, and yeah, that was uh, yeah, there were a few better performances than that one. Yeah, and it's forgotten a little bit in '98 that that Neitz broke his ankle in, in about the fourth or fifth round, I think, at Princess yeah, Park. Carlton. And, yeah, yeah, we we didn't we didn't see him for for a lot of the year, and 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 you know Schwartz was injured during the year as well i think it done a hammy yep. um gary lyon was was missing game he didn't play a full season he was missing the odd game here and there because being he just, managed you know, yeah. yeah yeah he was yeah it was being managed before it was a thing really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but but it but just wasn't able to get up every week uh, to play i think he he missed a few games where we traveled because it just wasn't going to uh, work for his back to be on a plane all that sort of stuff yeah. so so it was the um the beauty of this forward line was quite fragile <laughs> in a lot of ways but but i, I think this was you know the, one of the one of the first yeah I, I think at one point there's a stat brought up that that when the th- uh, three of them played together at some point during this streak that um Melbourne hadn't lost a game when when those three players had played together, so it just showed what was cap- what what they were capable of. But at the same time, at this point in the year, you know Melbourne sits outside the eight, and they've had some some really shocking losses in the middle of the year that that not only um, you know put them down the down the ladder, but also harmed their percentage. You know, almost immeasurably. Like it, it, there was a ninety-five point loss to Geelong and an eighty-nine point loss, I think, to St Kilda, back to back. And we went from having, you know, the the general sort of standard percentage of a team in the lower reaches of the eight to having, you know, one of the worst percentages in the league. And uh, that was always going to be a big handicap once we dropped out of the eight and we dropped. We really went into the pack of the mid-range. Um, Play uh, team, so this 
this win by 95 points was not only vitally important to keep us in touch with the eight, it, it, it did just um, boost our percentage a little bit. Like, these guys obviously all great marks, but when they were fit, they were so agile as well, especially Lyon and Swartz. Like, these guys are moving like a mid-sized player in this in, in this game, really. Like, they're so good at picking it up off the ground, snap. They were running rings around Brisbane, really. I know they, they were the bottom side, but it was domination, really. Oh, yes, yes. And um, that was the concern, I think, with Schwartz coming back um, from his third Rico was uh, if he was going to be able to have that sort of agility again because that was his number one trait in 94 is he was just his leap and his yeah, ability to move fast and that um he sort of had to come back as a like a real bullocking crash like yeah crash the pack kind of center half forward and and he did it very very well but i know that um he said it many times that he felt like his um his one wood was taken away from him yeah it's spot on john i i, mean, I remember watching one of his, I think it was his comeback game going along to watching 97 and, you know, no one cared the result. It might have oh, been against yeah. Brisbane. And it, no one cared the one result. No, no, like, we were bottom of the ladder. We were terrible. No one, we, we, we got smashed. Nobody cared about, actually, the result. It was just watching to see, make sure this guy didn't didn't fall over. And hopefully he might get a couple of kicks. And I think, I think he kicked a goal. I think he did kick a goal towards the end and... That was enough. That was enough as a Melbourne supporter, and that, but that probably spoke to how much the Schwartz injury damaged Melbourne as a club. Not no fault on Schwartz. It was just that he was going to be, he was going to be the guy that was going to take us to the promised land, and, and it and all fell fell over. But watching watching some of the highlights, and particularly this Brisbane game, um, you're right, John. He came back a different player. But I think in '98 there were glimpses later in the season of the old Schwartz. There's there's just little hints of the of not quite '94 Schwartz because he just wasn't the same no. body type. But but certainly the flair that he had occasionally came out. And, and I was really yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was really actually shocked at um, looking back at this, looking at how well, even though Lyon was obviously injured, but actually how well one he played this year, Gary Lyon and. I think he kicked forty odd goals, which is a great mm. return for a bloke who was who was just on about on his last legs with his back. But he he moves so well, and and you're right, Daniel. The, the, the that's what probably stands out as the even the guys that were injured were still the agility and and ability to cover ground and and deliver by foot. I mean, one thing that Lyon and Schwartz always had was just sublime skills. Um, they could you know, do things that a lot of players couldn't do and particularly players of their size. So that one was in the books. Melbourne by 95 points and Farmer kicking six goals and Lion five. So running a mark at the MCG. So the round 19 game was also at the MCG, this time against Carlton. It was actually a pretty tight game up to half time. Melbourne taking an 11 point lead into the main break. But it was actually Swartz who was the game breaker in the third quarter. He went on a rampage, kicking five goals from just six kicks. And I think a few of these were from outside 50 as well. It was a bloody long kick. Yeah, he loved to, to swing around onto that uh, onto that right and just drill it through the centre. It was a joy to watch. Yeah, the, the, some of the highlights of, of this day particularly, I think, um, relate to that 
just that glimpse of 94 was back in Schwartz because he and he had this he was a confidence player when he was up and running he he would do things that others couldn't do because he'd have the confidence to do it and he had the ability he had a bit of a thing with Carlton though which which was always um, good in that uh, he he had a, a, a huge game in the 94 final yeah. the first final when yeah. Melbourne beat Carlton that which he he um I mean, if he wasn't best on ground, he, he was he was very close to it, but did his blind turn and did all those things, oh. those sort of iconic highlights of him. But even the 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 season before this, 97, he a few games into his comeback, it, it was it was uh, Carlton were Melbourne was bottom of the ladder. Carlton, I don't think we're having a great season in 97, but they're probably mid 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 table. Melbourne um, beat them and. Schwartz, I think, kicked three goals or something, just something like that, and and did a few things, which really lifted the spirits of everyone because, oh, he's he's back and he's 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 not hurt. So we, we all all we cared about was him just not not hurting that knee again. But then he actually a few games in, he started to do some things that made you think, well, not only has he made a comeback, he he may actually be useful in the future for as a Melbourne player, not just as a, an effort to, to get back on the field. He was so big when he came back in 97. I think he, he might have been like 110 kilos because all he'd done for the last six months was weights. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah. He was huge. He was. He mm. was. He, he, well, that's where the, 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 the nickname The Ox yeah. came from. Yeah, um, he, he, he wasn't The Ox in 1994. He was Schwarter in 1994. Um uh, but he developed the Ox nickname, which he sort of is known as today, um, after he after he sort of after post knees and after coming back then. Sports like to the wider footy public and maybe to someone like me who you know was a bit young at this time, he's sort of seen as a bit of an enigma because everyone sort of talks about how high his top level was, but I guess just with the injuries, it was just never there for long enough to actually you know do anything hugely meaningful for it or to like you know meaningfully push for a flag or just to see it over a consistent period 1994 david schwartz i still rated as the best as not the best melbourne player season i've seen but the most you know the, the most exciting or or um most potential i've seen in a melbourne player that season i to me he was that was almost peak sort of Wayne Carey yeah. and 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 I think Schwartz was not far behind him and and ev- all indications were that this guy was you know he was going to be the not as consistent Wayne Carey but probably going to give you more more spectacular highlights because he was he took more spectacular marks or did more sort of spectacular things he was yeah he was going to be the counterpoint we thought to to carry and be perhaps the you know up with the best couple of players in the game through the nineties at that point. Yeah, I totally agree. He was the one guy that was sort of rivaling Carey as the dominant centre half forward of the comp, and yeah, yeah, it was just yeah, it's sad what happened, but he still still had some joy, I guess. So it is is it as simple as this? I know it's never really as simple as this, but you know if he didn't do the three knees, would Melbourne have had a significantly better shot at pinching a premiership through the nineties? I know that's simplistic, but you guys are speaking so glowingly of him. Like, could he have been the difference? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we, we'll be biased, but 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think 19, 1994, the, the way we played at the end of 1994, the, the, this was, again, probably probably the most watchable team in it towards the end. If if Schwartz continues to do what he does, there's just so many sliding doors. I think with this is that is that okay? Let's let's say that Lyon and Schwartz have three more years of um, you know them at peak fitness and able to play full seasons. It changes everything because David Neitz may never play in the forward line, which might seem silly to people, but. He he might he probably wasn't needed to play in the forward line. He becomes the best centre half back in the league, and that was our kind of Achilles heel right through, going right through to the mid two thousands. As our back line was always a sort of patched together mm-hmm. um, uh, thing, and so that um, there were other you know Tingay's injuries were were you know Tingay was a state played for Victoria in ninety four was an All Australian in ninety four now. He was probably going to be our star midfielder over the next three or four years. It just didn't happen for him, mainly because of he, he was injured. You know, as I said before, Viney, Viney, um, even though he was only gone for a little while, he, he you know, his his head was elsewhere because he was taking on becoming a tennis coach and was going to travel the world with with Mark Philippoussis. Um, there was, and, and that's just the start of it. There were plenty of other lesser lights that got injured. I mean, Paul Primke was a guy who you probably don't think of, but was the centre half back in 1994. He gets he had injuries, which sort of you know really only saw him play another season or so when he had been a pretty reliable backman for us at that point. So there's, there's so many what ifs, uh, but I I wholeheartedly believe that we might have been half a chance over that next three to four year period, particularly with the likes of a farmer that was coming into it, um, was probably going to be that that X factor that, you know, who knows, by, by 97 or 98, we, we might have been, uh, or let's say 98, we, we, uh, these guys all playing in this fashion might have might have already done something really good by then. I totally agree with this. Um I have no doubt that we probably would have at least made another grand uh, grand final in that period. That the spine was just born out of that '94 team. Yeah, yeah. Paul Primke was decimated with injuries in his career, and he was stunning centre half back. Neitz would have been a very, you know, very very good defender. Uh, Schwartz line. We also in that '94 side we had Helen Jakovic still, and we had uh, Sean Charles who who was yeah, really up no, and coming. It, it was well, the Sean most Charles talented another, another injury I've yeah. ever seen. To be honest, yeah. the '94 season, and uh, yeah, um, we might have even had Martin Pike in that team as well. I yeah, think back then, Pike, Pikey was it, playing in '94. Oh, it was just yeah. ridden with talent, and yeah, it, it, it is a shame that yeah, all these things just lined up, all these terrible injuries, and remind me how '94 ended. Was it West Coast in the prelim who knocked Melbourne out over in WA? Yeah, yeah, West West Coast in the prelim, we, and look. I think I think we were within a goal or two at half time. Um, we stayed with them for a half, uh, but but by that point, you know, and West Coast were a really good side, and I, you know, I I think if we had have played any other side on that prelim day, I reckon we would have made the grand final. Um, you know, we we had a good record against North. Um, we'd beaten North not not long before that in '94, and I think we would have. Think we could have could have overcome Geelong, but West Coast were the great, with a far and away the best team yeah. in '94. No one was I don't think anyone was going to get close to them. But but you know, over the next couple of years, that was where probably the the 
the chance live from Melbourne. But I would implore anyone who um, jump on YouTube and and get a bit of look up a bit of '94 Melbourne to see what we're talking about when we're talking about um, slimline <laughs> Schwartz. For sure. Oh yeah. All right, so just to finish off this recap of the Carlton game, so after that Schwartz blitz, it was actually a 49-point win over Carlton, which is actually the best win over Carlton since 1955, premiership year for Melbourne there. So uh, good indications that they were going to do something here that was actually going to be pretty meaningful. So the next assignment was actually to head over to Adelaide. So these were the days of Football Park, and it was actually Port Adelaide, in, uh, I guess, one of their early seasons. And it was a bit of a struggle for Melbourne in the first half. They could only manage three goals in a relatively low-scoring game and were actually down by 11 points at halftime. But it was Swartz again who was displaying his athleticism and a huge booming kick from the point of the square saw it sailing through the goals. So he was the guy that Melbourne really needed to stand up in these big moments and... Todd Viney was also very influential with three goals as well. So Melbourne, with their second-half blitz, kicking 11 goals, saw them safely home. So pretty good effort to go over to Adelaide, and uh, it was a pretty convincing win in the end, I suppose, but uh, challenged in the first half. This was one game I remember where Jeff White actually struggled in that season. Uh, He was having a lot of trouble with Matthew Primus, and... It was an example of where they were able to throw Jimmy into the ruck and just get a different look at things, just bring some more order into the game. Uh, And he actually took over a bit and um, got us back into the game. So Jeff was fantastic, but it it was kind of... There was still a lot of bigger ruckman. I think he was just struggling with a tiny bit. And it's just like today. I mean, there's games when Max Gorn is struggling a little bit sometimes. And to be able to throw Luke Jackson in and just get a different look at things, it's... It's it, it's nice to have that in your arsenal. Yeah, and this is this is one of those games where Lyon didn't play. Um, you know, probably the the the, the flight over to uh, to Adelaide wasn't going to work great for his back. At this point, Neitz has only just come back from the from the ankle injury, and he doesn't really do much in this game. So yeah, it was left to Schwartz, who, who again who had been injured as well, uh, and to to play that role, but. Todd Viney, is, I think, is, is clearly best on ground with, you know, kicks three goals. But again, as you said earlier about it, working on his, his kicking, a, a great example of someone who, uh, you know, worked on his weakness through his career and, and in this 98 season, which is, you know, his banner year in a lot of ways, um, he was able to add, add goal kicking to um, what, the stuff that we already knew and loved about him was his sort of tackling and, and hardness around the ball, but he was able to add a little bit of finesse too that we hadn't always seen from him. Absolutely. So at this point, Melbourne was on a three-game winning streak and it was looking pretty good for them to finish in the final eight. And their round 21 assignment at the MCG against Sydney could seal the deal for them. So surprisingly, 51,000 turned out at the G for a Monday night game, the only one for the season. I was really surprised by this. (laughs) Pretty good effort to get 51k to the G for a Monday night game. What's going on here? Novelty factor? Well, well, it was... It was a funny... It was a funny one. And to give you a little bit of context, and I... I, So 
back in 1998, I was a footy record seller. So I used to sell sell the footy records at the MCG. And um, so we, I would be at a lot of these games and sort of be walking in at half t- you know, walking in somewhere through the first quarter and, and doing that. But Monday night, it was it was a huge novelty that, that, that a Monday night game was played. But the way it all worked out, which was quite interesting, is that um, at the time we Melbourne sat on 48 points with with um, Adelaide, West Coast, Essendon and St Kilda, um, all on 48 points. But our terrible percentage meant that we were the most susceptible to getting um, knocked out. Richmond was the was ninth and uh, and had a much better percentage than than us. Um, and then, but the way the the results fell that weekend, the it was like the whole final series opened up for Melbourne on that weekend because the uh, I think three of the four teams that sat above us with a better percentage than us lost. Um, they were all playing higher ranked teams. Richmond won, so the pressure was really still on. But that all happened on the on the. On the Saturday, and 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 the and the for some reason there wasn't games on a Sunday, which I oh sorry there, there actually there was the Saturday and the Sunday, um, and then this meant that um, by the time we got to Monday, we knew we knew the equation here, and we knew that this game was going to be almost an elimination final for for Melbourne. But the great you know, if we lost, we would have been in real, real strife to, to to not make the not make the eight. But if we won, the path was open for us to potentially, um, you know, finish fifth or fourth, which just hadn't looked at just any sort of possibility. You know, literally twenty four hours before that, because we were just battling for eighth spot. What were your recollections of this, Johnny? Yeah, um, yeah, Monday night. Uh, I'm sure. At the time, the AFL was really trying to push that a bit. Maybe have as many of those as they tried to do Thursday at the moment. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, Plunkett was on ninety-eight goals, I think, for the season, and so there was all the talk. Mainly, the talk was around that, to be honest, going into it, um, which might might have been a bit of a, a nice distraction for us. We were able to go about our business, um, but yeah, I remember the, when we ended up winning. I remember sort of celebrating and being like oh yeah first time in the finals for four years and i just had no idea what was to come in the next 15 to 20 years after that like four year drought. Yeah. yeah i thought a four-year drought was terrible like yeah it was, it was amazing it, it was a big night i i remember running out on the field when plugger kicked <laughs> kicked the hundred because why not why, why why wouldn't you so went out on the field but at that at that point uh it you know, we we it wasn't it wasn't a, I wouldn't call it an easy win by any means. Uh, uh, any means it was it was a sort of one that we kind of always had in had in hand, but we had to work for it all the way through. And it was only in the last quarter that we really um, sealed it and broke through. But but it was but Sydney were a good team. Sydney sat you know in the top three at the time, so it was a it was a huge test, and it was it was sort of seen as okay, maybe we are better than just a team that's battling to for eighth or ninth spot we're, we're actually a bit better than that and um brent gurge kicked a, a great goal that's one of my sort of my only memories of brent gurge only, only positive memories of brent gurge as a player yeah 
he, but he kicked a great goal this night, and that was in one of you know probably in his what his second or third season. He was only young, but he he did kick a great goal, and I reckon it was sort of towards the end and or in the last quarter, which sort of wrapped up the the win. Yeah, and it was another third quarter blitz that really did the job for Melbourne here and saw them safely through to a finals berth with a relatively comfortable twenty seven point win, and. Again, it was Farmer and Neats in the goals with four and three, respectively. So, great win against a uh, top four contender, and they would end up finishing the top four as well. So, fantastic way to seal the finals berth there. So, there was still one more regular season assignment for Melbourne, and it was a big game against the Tigers at the MCG, who I'm guessing at this point was still just outside the eight. And one of... The things I remember most from my childhood watching the footy was actually what happened very early in this game. An absolute screamer by Farmer. I remember I was sitting in the northern stand bottom and it just looked like he popped up from nowhere. <laughs> so I watched the replay of this so many times. I even had the poster on my wall for years as well. But let's uh, just go through the play-by-play a little bit here of what happened. So it was actually Gary Lyon jostling for position with his Richmond opponent. And Farmer just springs up and basically standing on top of Lyon's number gets the extra bit of lift and he's up so high he doesn't even have to take it in the hands. He can just easily clutch it to his chest and on the way down bends the legs for effect and probably unfortunately lands on his feet. So it makes it look slightly less spectacular but geez, you are so bloody high. Yeah, it was an amazing leap that one. It was just like a, it was literally like a step ladder just into the sky. Um, was that mark of the year that year? Surely it was. I think I think Winston Abraham got it, which I totally disagree with. But the, the, the farmer, one, the farmer one was the best. No, no bias, of course. The, he just made it look the, so easy. There, there was another. I suppose that again, a little bit like the week before, um, things had opened up in a way that hadn't we we didn't imagine because. The night before, um, Brisbane played St Kilda. And you've got to remember, St Kilda, and we'll come to probably St Kilda in a few few games' time, in about round what, 13 or 14, St Kilda were top of the ladder and premiership favourites and just spectacularly sort of collapsed um, in that last part of the year. But even then, they were sitting uh, in the top four and all they had to do was, was beat Brisbane, who were bottom of the ladder that year. Uh, it was at the Gabba, but they had to, you know, that this is a, a top four team playing a, a, the bottom team, and Brisbane win by a point, uh, which was a huge upset, huge upset, and and even even then, like St Kilda were up at halftime, it was sort of Brisbane sort of came back and 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 did that, but that then meant that the the following day, all of a sudden, this was a huge game anyway because Richmond needed to win to get in. Um, Melbourne were assured of now playing in the finals, but suddenly there was this carrot to say that we could finish in the top four. Despite our terrible percentage, we could finish in the top four, um, which is a little bit different in those days how the finals you know, actually operated. It's not quite the, the top four as we know it now and the importance of the top four as we know it now. <laughs> Shannon, just on that Brisbane St Kilda game, I'm just trying to think if I remember correctly, did that go right down to the last second? Like there was a questionable goal from a St Kilda player that might have won it? I've got I've got this feeling that that there was a scramble in the go- in the St Kilda goal square that was sort of held up and there was a ball up and and 
yeah, it was it was it, it was very close, and, yeah. and it was sort of a the siren went, and and the ball was about to be balled up on on in the St Kilda goal square. So it, it was like yeah, it was it was really really close. Now, if it had been a draw, I think it you know that would have still still yeah, yeah. helped us um, to a, to an extent anyway. But but still that that again was this this thing where of ninety eight where things just open up and then geez if maybe we needed that carrot but she's that that game i mean that that was as as good as you'd see a melbourne team play that that game particularly when you had richmond actually who weren't terrible richmond but and that but they had to win to make make finals and geez it was a sign of things to come yeah that was beautiful forms yeah absolutely and 76 76 thousand uh, at that that game, huge home and away crowd. Yeah. So I guess Melbourne looked like they hit them with really everything they had in that first quarter. So opening up a five goal lead, yes, they really wanted to push up the ladder as you described. The opportunity opened up from there, and it was really another six goals in the third that more or less sealed the game and they continued to bury the Tigers in the last so they really didn't let up and by the end it was an 86 point mauling there with Neitz and Farmer both bagging five so as you were saying earlier Shannon fantastic performance on the eve of finals I guess just what you'd want going into the first week yeah and again the the options were um just the fact that we had all these forward options I think it it, they they hadn't played together all year uh, but but you know, almost like a sort of a good horse trainer, Neil Danaher, in in bringing his his stars or getting them at their peak at the right time, and uh, you had, you know, Neitz and Farmer, as you said, Neitz and Farmer kicking five goals. Um, Gary Lyon kicks probably the the opening goal of the game. I think that really sort of got them going. Um, Schwartz as well. You know, all of these guys have now had sort of starring roles in over the last month in different ways i think that they've all kicked at least five goals in a game um in this this streak that those four guys which is pretty a pretty rare thing really when you think about it so this brought them up to fourth on the ladder to conclude the regular season do you remember what sort of expectations you had going into this johnny in the terms of the 98 final series um look I remember it was just great to be there. <laughs> it was just great to have a home final as well for finishing fourth. Um, but I do also remember, it, I kind of felt like we deserved a tiny bit more um, in terms of, it, I, I do prefer the final system now in that if you do finish top four and you win, you're straight through the prelim. I kind of felt like it, <laughs> we probably deserved a bit more than just the incentive of, playing again next week in the semi-final. But look, above all that, it was just great to be back in the finals and, and it was exciting. I think that that year North, North and the Bulldogs were seen as the two best teams that year. So I, I don't know whether, and we hadn't beaten, like we'd lost to North in the late in the year and we lost the Bulldogs yeah, late in the yeah. year as well. I think I think from as a, you know, I can't remember exactly what I was thinking at the time, but, but I think still at, at that point, I would have been, Confident playing pretty much everyone, and probably confident playing the Bulldogs if it was at the MCG, which it, which it would have been, um, wouldn't have been played anywhere else in a final. But I think still probably in the back of my mind, North was the one mm. that I would have been worried about. 